So if you're new, um, I do want to invite you. I'll be at the Connections table outside, right out or right across the, the hall there. Would love to meet you. I met a few of you already, but would love to say hi um, if you are available. Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians, officially kicking off this series today. Last Sunday, we did a little mini uh, introduction. I, t- I, <laughs> I told the church we were out in Newton on Sunday afternoon. I said, this is a bonus message because your pastor's a nerd. Um, and I wanted to do the background of the story of the planting of the Ephesian church. So we, uh, I, I don't do this a lot, but if you weren't there, I encourage you to maybe go back and listen to that message as it'll tell you all about Acts 19, what God did there, about the city of Ephesus, which you can still visit today, has some beautiful ruins that are still around, that were around as Paul uh, lived and walked in that city. Um, but we're looking at this book of Ephesians written by Paul to a church that he wrote, uh, that he helped plant approximately 10 years earlier. And many theologians believe that, that the book of Ephesians is actually Paul's greatest work. Uh, now, I know you're thinking, well, I thought Romans, if you've if you're, you know, been around your church, like, isn't Romans like the, the thing? Romans is Paul's like exhaustible magnum opus, right? Uh, it, it, is, uh, it is huge, 16 chapters. It takes, you know, hour and a half, two hours to read, uh, to actually understand it. Ephesians is a lot of those same, same themes, but condensed into a six-chapter book. So he has, touches on a lot of the same theology, same ideas. So you tell me, what is better, a five-hour sermon, as good as it might be, or a 30-minute sermon that hits all the same things as the five-hour sermon? So uh, I know the answer, so don't say that. Um, because most pastors would like to preach the five-hour sermon. Uh, but, but this is why we're diving into this. And the book is laid out, is very simple layout. The first three chapters are doctrinal, really getting into the core of the gospel, the core of, of what uh, the church believes. Um, and then the last three chapters are application, really digging into what does it look like for the gospel to impact your life and how you live and your relationships and all of that. We've got a couple of resources, a couple of things that I want to, uh, tools for you in this journey. First is this little Ephesians journal Bible, uh, scripture journal that, that we're making available. Um, Tyler here. Uh, we should have these available after the service. If not, we'll have them by next week as well. Um, but for anyone who's in a community group, we invite you to, to grab this. This is really great. It has the scripture on the left and lots of text on the right. Um, and one of the cool things is you could bring this on Sunday. I know a, a Bible, a physical Bible? Really? Um, yes, bring it. You'll have your pen. You could, you could open it up while I'm preaching and you could draw, you could do your, your uh, to-do list for the week. And I will be, I will think, wow, they are so into this message. And so you serve two purposes. You'll encourage your pastor and you'll get your to-do list marked out for the week. So I um, encourage you to bring this, uh, use it. And, and I would say, you know, sometimes, I don't know, I, I mark a little bit in my Bible, but I, I'm a little OCD. So literally every mark is underlined with a hard surface, hard object that creates a very straight line under everything. That's just how I roll. But this is not my permanent Bible, so I feel comfortable like drawing, circling words, uh, and things like that. So maybe that can help you as well. The other thing is community group. And I know it's been mentioned, but uh, I would argue this uh, if you're new. Uh, community groups are the single best thing City on the Hill has to offer. Now, I know you might be visiting our, our gathering for the first time, and that's great. Um, but the gathering's like icing on the cake. You're not eating the cake. Um, until you go to a community group. And the reason is why. Well, the gathering's an hour and a half on a Sunday. 
And maybe a few minutes before and a little while after, you're gonna speak to people. But your community group is is that relationship that you build in the city. And um, even as uh, Molly was talking about, a lot of people describe their community groups as like a family-like relationship. There's people that that they they celebrate holidays together. They're gonna, um, you know, go uh, apple picking this this fall together. They're going to uh, walk through the day-to-day, week-to-week struggles and all the one another's in the New Testament uh, the 58 one another show up in community group. They don't show up in the gathering. So encourage you to check that out. Um, again, at the table out there, we can help you find one. If you're new, I'm going to be leading a new to COA uh, community group. That's gonna start in a few weeks. We'll have information about that. We're rolling out in our newsletter this week and next Sunday, but wanted to put that on your radar. You're welcome to come to that. I'll be leading that. All right, let's look at Ephesians 1, verses one through six. Um, And when I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I would invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is, these first six verses, really verses three through six, are part of a much longer section here, verses three through 14. And in fact, verses three through 14 is one of the richest, most dense theological passages in the entire Bible. And it is, get this, in the Greek, one sentence. Verses three through 14. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers dictating to Siri for the first time or the first few times, and you forgot to add punctuation, and you dictated an entire paragraph, and then you look at it, and you're like, that's one giant run-on sentence. Um, Paul, that's verses 3 through 14 in the Greeks, one sentence. We break it up in the English. The ESV adds periods and some, uh, some um, you know, some punctuation marks, but uh, it's one sentence in the Greek. Paul utterly would have failed grammar, but he gets an A in theology because he, and, it, and it's like, I think he was just rolling as he was writing this and he was just pulling all these threads together. And he's like, I don't need to break any of this up. This all goes together. Um, and so this is such a beautiful text and, and we're going to spend the next three weeks going through verses uh, three through 14, this week's three through six. Um, but I remember when I was doing my, um, doing graduate work in seminary, uh, I did a, uh, for a seminar, did a 25 page paper on verses three through 14. And I had to pare it down to 25 um, because the content, the depth is so astounding here. The, The threads that Paul pulls together from all over scripture, which we're not going to have the time to explore in detail, um, is is uh, is going to be is is mind boggling. Um, it's a bit like uh, anybody remember maybe the first time you flew over New York City on a clear day, and the the pilots like if you look out the right side of your plane you'll see you know New York City. Um, if you remember, I remember first time uh, flying out of Boston because having 
quite gotten up high, real high at that point, so you're still kind of low, a little bit low coming over New York. And I looked down, and I remember seeing the island of Manhattan, you know, and I could make out Central Park, and I could I actually could see where Times Square was and, um, and, and some of those features. But, but then the rest of it kind of got lost, didn't it? <laughs> because you're looking at New York City, right, from a plane, uh, and it's moving by. Well, that's going to be a little bit what 3 through 14 is like. We're going to see some beautiful features, some amazing things, but we're not going to be able to get as deep as um, it would be fun to do. Uh, Verse 3 really is the key for this entire section of verses 3 through 14. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, listen, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He uses blessing three times in this one phrase, but, but it's important. The, the idea of every spiritual blessing is going to shape everything we understand from the rest of, of chapter uh, three, or, uh, verses 3 through 14. But what does the word bless mean? Um, we, we use it a lot of different ways today. When someone sneezes, what do you say? Bless you, right? A um, little different than what's happening here. Hopefully you kind of, you're like, that seems a little different. Uh, it does. When we say bless you, we're simply uh, trying to, to, to acknowledge uh, or wish someone well. Um, actually, the idea was the thought that when you sneezed, your heart stopped for a second. And the fear was like it wouldn't start back. So they would say bless you. Uh, hoping that your, your heart started again. I know it feels like when I sneeze, it feels like I, my heart stops for a minute. I'm one of those heavy sneezers. Um, but, but very different than what Paul is saying here where he says God blesses us, right? Uh, when used in verse three, at the beginning of verse three, where Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it, it is pointing to uh, the idea of praise. So we're blessing God's name. We're praising God's name. But then um, when it refers to people, the idea of blessing is a state of wellness, happiness, or prosperity. It's tied to the Hebrew idea of shalom. So someone who is blessed in Hebrew is experiencing shalom or wellness in their whole life. And this is one of the most basic drives of human beings. Every person in this room right now, every person watching online, every person in this town, this city, wants a blessed life. We're all pursuing it. We're all trying to figure out what it means to be blessed, and we're trying to line that up. There's a couple of major approaches to this, to, to flourishing, right, to, to what we think life will, will look like if we flourish. Uh, one is a non-religious approach. This non-religious approach basically says if I go out here and I'm going to do the right things and I'm going to get everything uh, lined up in my life and I'll, I'll, I'll do the right things internally and I'll do the right things externally and I'll get myself into a position where I am blessed where my life is blessed. The religious approach, and I'm not talking about Christianity at this point, but the religious approach is I will do the right things, I will follow the right rituals, I will follow the right rules, and I will get God or the universe or whatever deity I worship to bless me so that I am blessed and live a blessed life. Now, the problem with both of those, um, ironically, is that uh, they both have the idea of do the right thing and get the right life. Do the right thing and get the blessed life. But certainly you see the the issue here, right? How many of you have experienced doing the right thing and not experiencing blessing? In fact, we'll look around sometimes in our workplace, right? And that person who is not good, not doing good, seems to be very blessed. And then the person who is doing good, who is doing the right thing... They're not blessed. 
And so at worst, this whole idea that we could somehow work ourselves or get our life fixed up until we get a blessed life is, is really fraught with issues, isn't it? Because we can't control the future. We can't control our circumstances. Well, one of the important factors here is how Scripture, how the Bible, how Christianity frames out what it means uh, to be blessed. Uh, the, real, the Bible says that the real problem, uh, in fact, is that we actually try to do it ourselves. The original sin of, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden can be boiled down to this. We're going to figure out our own blessed life. We're going to figure out how to get what's best for us apart from God, apart from our creator, apart from the one who made us in his image. And so sin, that is by its nature, sin. And there's a, like I said, a religious version of that and an irreligious version of that. But it is ultimately the same thing. Christianity has a very different vision of being blessed. Being blessed has nothing to do with the ways we often define blessing in the, in the, the secular West. It, it doesn't have to do with education. It doesn't have to do with wealth. It doesn't have to do with, with your job. Though all of those things can, can be overflows of being blessed. But they are not the primary blessing that Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches is that, that blessing is not something we do, but something God does for us. We're blessed by God um, and, and God blesses his people through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And the beauty of this, and here's, here's why the blessing, I think this is a far better blessing than getting all the circumstances right in your life because they can go wrong the next day, right? It's far better because, the, listen, this blessing's available to anyone in the world right now. Christians in Afghanistan today can experience a blessed life by God not dependent on their circumstances. It's not, it's not even, uh, we, we look for blessing in the circumstances. These, it's, this blessing is not even contra circumstances. It's more supra circumstantial. So it's like surpasses your circumstances. This is, you're, if you know scripture, you know Philippians, you're thinking, oh, this is what Paul was talking about when he said, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. yes. What, is, what do you think he's talking about? Not talking about peace as in absence of war. He's talking about being blessed, shalom. That you, regardless of what's happening out here, can be blessed in here as a person. Verse three through 14 really frames these blessings out in, in three different categories. Uh, past, present, and future. Verses three through six is this week is the past. That's what we're looking at. Verses seven through 10 are present blessings and verses 11 through 14 are future blessings. We'll get to those in a couple of weeks. Not like they're all separate. They are all very intertwined. Um, and one of the interesting things about, okay, so how, do, how ultimately does a person experience this blessing if it comes from God? How do you know? And Paul says it's about where you are positioned in relation to God. So no one gets to go, okay, God, just bless me. Just, I'm open, bless me. They have to be in Christ to receive that blessing. The word in Christ, this phrase in Christ in verses three through 14 shows up 11 times. 11 times in Christ or in him shows up. It appears in Paul's letters 216 times and 36 of those are in the book of Ephesians. Paul is saying it's not about, about where you are in your circumstances. It's about where you are in relation to Christ. 
that when you are in Christ, your life is in Christ, you are set up to experience the blessings of God. And today we're going to look in verses three through six at what those blessings are. Um, Three ideas here. One is that we're blessed to be chosen by God. Second, we are blessed to be adopted by God. And thirdly, we're blessed to be praised by God, or blessed to praise God. So the first is we are blessed to be chosen by God. Look at verses three, the middle of verse three through verse four. Blessed, uh, who blessed us in Christ, there's that phrase, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the supernatural cosmic blessings of the universe that God has to offer are real and given in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This tells you and tells me that you don't get to go to God on your own terms. You don't get to go, God, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna approach you the way I wanna approach you. I'm gonna set up my own rules and and my own uh, way of understanding you and then you will bless me. That's just religion. But what Christianity says, when you step into Christ by faith, you are in Christ, you receive those blessings, not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done for you in Christ. He says you are chose, Paul says he chose us in Christ. He's rooting God's blessings for us in Christ um, and and then connecting it uh, with a a choice before the beginning of the world. Reminds me of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So why why would a person receive that gift being in Christ? Well, There's two options. One is that they deserve it, right? That God, before the foundation of the world, looked down and saw you and said, you know what? She's pretty good. She's gonna be all right. She's gonna do pretty well. I kind of like her personality. She's kind of smart. She says some funny stuff. She's kind of nice to other people. I will choose her and put her in Christ. That's one option. There's only one issue with that. Everything Jesus said, did, the New Testament, anything it says, the Old Testament, anything it says. Besides that, you can believe you deserve it. The second option is that God chose for another reason. Not because the object, you or I, were worthy and God thought, what an amazing person, have to get them on my team. But God did some, chose out of something else. And this is the key. At the end of verse four, I didn't read these words when I put, when I put verse three and four on the screen a moment ago, but the very end of verse four, um, the ESV breaks it right after two words. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What are the next two words? In love. Now, remember something very important. There's a period there before in love. But what did I just tell you about the Greek? There's no period. So the truth is, theologians or any translator has to decide, does in love go with what comes next or does in love go with what's before? And I believe, and most good theologians and scholars believe, that it goes with what's before. So the ESV kind of messed it up here by putting a break there. But the word in, the word in love shapes God's calling and choosing of you. He chose to make you the object of his love. 
The object of his love. Now you're like, well, I don't know. How did he, who does he choose? How does he choose? We're gonna get to that in a moment. If, you, if you're reading along with me, you heard the word predestination here in a minute and you're like, I wanna hear about that. I wanna know what that, what that means. We're gonna get to that and it's very connected with this choosing. But, but I don't want you to miss this in the moment that it was because of God's love. That's a pretty unusual love, isn't it? When, when, I, say, when I say, I'm going to bless someone that I love, I look out, I find someone, what? That I find lovable. And I choose to bless them. God doesn't do that. God doesn't look for what's lovely. He looks out of the character of his love, which is an inexhaustible uh, love. And, And what does it mean for us if we are chosen completely out of God's love, but not out of what we deserve. Well, I think in our heart of hearts, most of us would be honest and think, I mean, really, honestly, deep down, why would God choose me? I kind of mess up a lot. I get angry. I say bad words a lot. I, uh, I, 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 uh, I'm always messing up with other people and relationships. I'm I'm, uh, I, I, I give in to lust, I'm very self-centered. I'm not very generous. Why would God choose me? And the glory of this text is that it is pushing back on you saying, don't worry, you have nothing to do with it. You've been loved by God because God delights in loving you regardless of what you do. And that's a different kind of love, isn't it? That's a different kind of love. And it was before the world began, he chose to make you, un, uh, to, you were unholy and guilty to make you perfect and guiltless and to be able to experience his presence. Now, Paul is saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places with all spiritual blessings in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He's building this all out. And I wanna remind you of one simple thing that's very important. Paul was writing this while in prison. Remember what I said about Afghanistan Christians right now, that they can experience this? Paul is sharing this out of the overflow of his own sense that I have been blessed. I have been blessed by God. He loves me. He came for me. He pursued me. He remembered the, the, the road to Damascus, right? He remembered that God interrupted his life and saved him by his grace. And if you are a Christian, you have that story that God pursued you and his love changed you. Don't ever forget that. That is a primary blessing. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on, the second blessing here is that we are blessed to be adopted into God's family. So God doesn't simply make us holy and blameless so we're worthy to be near him, but he adopts us into his family so we have all the privileges of children. Look at verse five. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, before I get to adoption, let's talk about predestination, right? I mean, let's, anybody, I don't think you probably have any questions, but... Um, I'll, I'll deal with it for the one or two of you that might wonder. Um, clearly not enough time to explore all of scripture on this, and I'd be glad to talk with you more about it. Um, but one thing I want to emphasize right off the bat is the way it's used in scripture here and in Romans 8, it is overwhelmingly, 
absolutely abundantly clear that it's supposed to be a positive doctrine. It's not meant to create fear. It's not meant to create anxiety or stress. It is a positive doctrine. Now, one of the things um, you might be thinking is, well, what about, what about uh, free will? And what the Bible says about free will? I'll say this. The Bible says nothing, zero about free will. Look it up. The only time free will shows up in the entire Bible is the f- reference to free will offerings in the Old Testament. It, I'm, I'm serious. The, the words free will are not in the Bible. The, not the idea that you and I are completely objective. We, we are completely objective and we are free to choose God or not choose God on our own. No, in fact, actually the Bible would say we are broken and depraved and that left to ourselves we will always choose sin, not choose God. But what scripture does lay out, and J.I. Packer, the great theologian, wrote a book, it's not too bad, maybe 100 pages, called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he describes, he describes the sovereignty of God and human responsibility as two parallel tracks, on a, for a train, like train tracks. And the only, they look like they meet, we can't get there, but they, they theoretically, they actually do meet in the mind of God. He understands how that works. One of the things that you need to know, though, is if you, um, that, that God is sovereignly at work and you have that responsibility to respond. You know, like, well, what does that mean? What about the place in the Bible? It says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How does that work with God's sovereignty? Well, that invitation in itself does not negate God's sovereignty. It just means whoever will call upon the name of the Lord is someone God is working in. And anyone, the beauty of it is, no one will be turned away. No one will, be, will face God's wrath and judgment uh, who wants Jesus. Scripture says it. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The invitation's wide open for anyone. And I like the way, um, if you want to think about, well, why did he include this here? Why is this in Ephesians? Why is this right here? Why is it in the Bible? It's meant to encourage Christians. It's not meant to be a doctrine for those that are outside. Because, I mean, honestly, how many people in the city of Boston honestly couldn't care less about God, couldn't care less about Jesus, couldn't care less about the church? This, this doesn't even make sense to them, right? This is not a doctrine for that. The great pastor, uh, London British pastor, uh, Charles Spurgeon, pastor in London around the turn of the 20th century, uh, he said this, and he was always really good at, at quips and, and uh, coming up ways to explain stuff. He said, you know, when I walked through the door of salvation, I looked above it, and it said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he said, and I walked through the door, and then I turned around and looked back up, and it said, predestined before the foundation of the world. That's how you understand it. And know this, no one who wants Jesus will ever be turned away. So don't get caught up on this, but get reassured. And I would remind you of this. How do you think Paul, who's in prison, who's facing death, is thinking about this? That this wasn't, oh, this isn't my random decision. I've got to keep myself, I've got to make sure that I keep myself saved because I might fall off. No, he's been predestined by God to be blessed. And how does this feel to Afghan Christians this morning? Let me tell you something. It's a reassurance. So God predestined us to adoption into his family. Every other religion teaches that you can know or follow or serve your creator. Um, You can be a servant, a student, a citizen, a, a follower of that faith or that religion or that leader. But Christianity alone says God adopts his followers 
into his family. It's the most personal of all the blessings described in chapter one. The word adoption shows us that we are not children of God by nature, right? If we have to be adopted into his family, then what? We weren't in his family, but he offers this adoption. He brings people in. Roman adoption was rarely done with babies. Most often it was done with older boys and young men, in particular in situations where wealthy families did not have an heir. And it's really interesting because this is the background Paul's using, like God adopted us into his family. And a rich man would adopt an heir into his family and immediately several things would happen. Number one, all of that man, uh, the new son's old obligations were canceled. They were done. The, the uh, debts were paid. All legal obligations were gone. The second thing that would happen is the son became as wealthy as the father because he was brought into this family. And in essence, it was, like he obviously didn't have possession of it all in this moment, but he was the appointed heir of this family, meaning all of the, his father's wealth would be his or was his in a sense. Thirdly, the father became liable for everything the son does. The son does something stupid, the father takes care of it. If the son um, does something crazy, the father fixes it. And then fourthly and finally, the son has responsibility of carrying on the name of his father and, and living out the honor of that family. Now, I would say this, I know like, you know, sometimes in scripture, you're like, if you're a woman, you're like, well, this, this is hard for me to get. I'm not sure I understand this. So I, I would say this, ladies, guys, we gotta figure out how we're the bride of Christ, right? Like we gotta embrace that and that's scriptural. So ladies, you're sons of God. But I want to say this, why does he say sons and not sons and daughters? Because in that culture, daughters did not receive the same inheritance, did not have the same value. He's saying, no, daughters, you have the equality of sons. You are adopted with all of the rights and privileges of, of the eldest son, if you will. There are many other things in scripture that are uh, just, uh, in this passage that are blessings of Christ, but this one is, is the greatest by far. Imagine a governor who has, it, it's one thing, you know, a governor to, 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 uh, to, to stay in execution and, and tell a criminal they're, they're free to go. It's another thing for that governor to, to uh, invite that criminal to begin to work in their administration. It's another thing for that governor to invite that criminal to come live with them and enjoy all the benefits and adopt them into their family. But that's what God does for us. We are blessed to be adopted. And finally here, we are blessed by God to praise God. Now get this. It's, it's the bookends for this passage, verse three and verse six. But verse three begins with blessed be the God and Father. What's Paul saying here? Praise God. Bless God. Glory to God. Majesty to God. God is worthy of all praise. He, he is the most worthy and infinite being in the universe. He deserves our worship. In fact, Paul tells us that God also didn't create human beings and then send Jesus to redeem them because he was lonely. So God, in, 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 in think about that. God, you know, I've heard that said. I don't know if you've, it's not good theology, but some of well, why did God make people then? Well, God was lonely. He just wanted to have some people to talk to. So God in, in eternity past was like, man, I'm so lonely. I just need someone to talk to. I'm gonna make some people, right? Like, 
Does that even set well? Scripturally, it doesn't set well at all. But like, it's kind of weird to even think of a God like that. And that's not God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were already a community in eternity past. God, out of his goodness, created human beings in his image. We rebelled against him. And then he said, no, I'm not going to let that go. I'm going to do something about it. And he says in the end of verse six that God does, or all of verse six, that, that he does all of this to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we were created by God and for God. And not just for God, I wanna say this, it's very important. We don't, we're not for God, made for God in the same sense that um, like somehow we're made for our iPhones or we're made for uh, rest. The way we think about being for something is we consume that thing, right? But God is, God is, we're not, God isn't something that we just kind of tack on. Like, of course I'm made for God, but I'm also made for all these other things. No, we're made for God in that our lives are meant to be caught up in him. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked day in and day out with God in relationship, right? And everything they did, all the work that they did was done out of that. Every moment that they lived was out of that relationship. And there's a hole in us that's not fulfilled until we get that. Augustine of Hippo, a fourth century bishop in North Africa, said, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Pointing to God. Now, we are made not just for God, but to, to see God, but to actually enjoy God. I know that's weird language, right? Like if I were to say, we are called to blank God, we'd go around this room all day, right? We'd go, oh, you should serve God, you should praise God, you should, uh, you, know, you should honor God, you should follow God, whatever these verbs we'd come up with. But probably be a while before we hit enjoy. <laughs> but we're to enjoy God. Now, I know this, you're like, really? Like, yes, our, our hearts are made to be satisfied in God. And God is, uh, uh, John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Listen, if you were made for God, then what's gonna be more natural for you once you are satisfied in God than to praise God, right? Anybody find a new restaurant? Anybody find a new place? Go to a new, uh, you know, uh, uh, beach or a new park or something and you, you can't wait to tell other people about it. Why? Because it's beautiful, it's inspiring. Well, what is more inspiring than God? Let me ask you a question. What are this afternoon at four o'clock at Gillette Stadium? What are the Pats fans going to be doing in that moment? Are they going to be quietly reflecting on the stats of the preseason and considering whether you know Mac Jones is really going to come through, or you know will the defense hold this year? No. They're going to lose their minds, right? They are. They're going to scream. There's somebody that's going to come painted. Some dude is going to be painted blue and silver. He's probably going to have a helmet on his head. And and he's going to come. They're going to scream. They're going to lose their minds. What are they doing? They're saying, worthy are the patriots. Worthy are the patriots. Best team ever. Right? That's what they're doing. And they're going to enjoy every minute of it. As long as they win. Right? 
but they're gonna enjoy every minute of it. There's something that happens in that moment where you get your eyes on the thing that, you're, that, you're, that you think is worthy and you have the opportunity to praise. Well, God is number one, infinite. He's with us always. So we're meant to live a life of praise. But then once a week, we gather in this room together with the very intentional purpose of praising him. And I'm, I'm afraid some of you don't make that connection. You don't make the connection that, that you are made, you are redeemed, you are blessed by God to be brought in and your praise of him is meant to be enjoyed. I would argue the only reason that, the, the reasons that we don't find ourselves moved in worship, times of worship, it's because we're not dwelling on God. We're not dwelling on who he is and what he's done for us. Because the one who has blessed us in every with every spiritual blessing in Christ invites us and says, come, worship. And you know what? You're gonna enjoy it. It's gonna be good for you. It's gonna be good for your soul. And you're gonna, you're gonna it, it's, it's something that lets out something inside. Imagine taking the biggest Pats fan and we tie him up and gag him and make him sit on the 50-yard line the entire game. But that's what I feel like some Christians do. Like we have infinite reason to praise God. And yet we hold back, we're reserved. We're like, oh gosh, what will someone think if I raise my hand? I've never raised my hands in church before. Because uh, when I was a kid, if I raised my hand in church, it was, there was gonna be a meeting. There was gonna be a deacon meeting and I was gonna be invited to that meeting and say, did you have a question during the songs today or during the sermon? Like... Like, and I know, but like, I'm not telling you what you need to do. I'm simply saying, you should check yourself when you, when you feel restrained and ask yourself, why? What is that? We can't help but talk about what we enjoy. How many of you watch Ted Lasso? I put it on social media recently. I kind of enjoy Ted Lasso shaming people. Um, I know not everybody has Apple Plus, but do the one week free subscription or something so you can watch it. Um, it is like one of the most unique, well-written shows I have ever seen. And, and when people, and, and when, when I find someone else, you know what they love to do? They love to talk about it too. They love to talk about the characters. They love to talk about what their favorite, you know, scene or favorite, you know, character is. And I go like, we should be talking about the Lord that way. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like nothing in this world can take that away from you. It is the thing you need the most and the thing that will satisfy you the most. And that's what we want to get today. We're going to move into our time of response. And our time of response is praise. There is no other response outside of faith. And praise is an act of faith. We're going to take communion um, as, as we do each Sunday, and communion is, a, is an act of praise. It's an act of faith. It's saying, God, I, Jesus, I remember that your body was broken for me. Your blood was poured out for me. I want to praise you for that. I want to worship you for that. Worthy are you. You know, the book of, book of Revelation, when they get a glimpse of Jesus on the throne, they, they just all lose their minds. They're going, worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, right? And so as we take communion, let your hearts be stirred by the blessings you've received by the body and blood of Christ. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask you to not take during this time. This is an invitation for you to learn about Jesus, to journey towards Christ, to faith in Christ. And so, you know, 
uh, it's one part of the service we'd ask you not to participate in. Um, but we'd love to help you in that journey of exploring who Christ is, what it means to experience this blessing. Because I'll tell you this today, if you want it, it's available to you. Um, we're gonna stand, go ahead and stand up during this next song. Um, after I pray, we'll sing. And anytime over this next song, you can begin to make your way out. We can't eat in the room, so we have to go out this door over here and go down the hall that way, basically circling around. And there'll be communion stations out there where you can take communion uh, and then drop in the trash and then make your way back in the room together. Don't all do it at once. Let's just kind of take a moment and uh, move, move orderly. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. How could we ever thank you? How could we ever adequately praise you when you are worthy beyond measure? When you chose us before the foundation of the world to be uh, in you, to have every spiritual blessing available to us, to, that we would be adopted into the family of the Father by your blood, body and blood, and that we are welcomed as co-heirs with you. What a gift. So I pray now, Lord, that, that we would see this all as to the praise of your glorious grace. And that as we would take communion, as we would sing and respond, you would be honored. That you would be glorified and that we would find great joy in declaring your worth. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.